Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with Delia Delore, the show that explores the impacts of commonly used phrases on our world's diverse cultures and how people's use of them shape our perspective on the societies we live within. Today's metaphor is a fool and his money is easily parted. And our guest, Andrew Megson, tells us exactly what it means when we part with money that has not been put to good use. When I hear that phrase, I think of being in a relationship and giving your partner money to buy them things that you know they'll like because you want to keep them. Sad that I should think of it that way. The harsh reality is it doesn't matter how intelligent or how professional you are. If you don't start saving for your retirement as soon as you can, even if you're 16, you're 18, you are going to regret it. So listeners, I'm depending on you to share this episode with the young people you know so that they can have a better understanding of what it's like to get older and perhaps not save enough towards it. So where did a fool and his money are easily parted come from? And how has it evolved? Let's see what Sabina found out for us this week. A fool and his money are easily parted is a phrase that can be traced all the way back to a poem from the year 1557. Thomas Tusser, the man who penned the original phrase, was a Tudor poet who had a real passion for the British outdoors. The original phrase actually read slightly differently. A fool and his money be soon at debate, which after the sorrow repents him too late. You may have noticed that this version in fact rhymes. Tusser's intent with his poem, 500 Points of Good Husbandry, was to provide a useful guide to farming and gardening in Britain. Tusser spent most of his life farming, but he was also very well educated, having studied at both Eton and Cambridge. This made his book of tips extremely popular among the later Elizabethan audience due to the relatability of his subject matter. The text is memorable, a real advantage to a population who were less than 50% literate. Elizabethan England is dominated by the rich and powerful, but this is a world enjoyed by a privileged few. For most people, life is very different. In the countryside, many people are poor and they face great hardship. Even listening to the work now, you can see that it is in fact quite simple, but also packs a lot of information in. The language may sound a little strange, but if you pay attention to the contents, you'll see what I mean. A fool and his money are easily parted, as we have established, is an extremely old piece of advice. We can appreciate its worth since it still resonates with us today. At first hearing, it is a very simple expression to understand. Those who are foolish with their money often lose it. However, this proverb also suggests that those who are foolish are easy to take advantage of. Here's a classic example of friends where a naive Joey accidentally enables a burglary. This is the unit for you, my friend. Sturdy construction, tons of storage compartments, some big enough to fit a grown man. Oh, yeah. I got in there myself once. My roommate bet me five bucks that I couldn't, and then he stuck a board through the handles and locked me in. It was funny until I started feeling like I was in a coffin. No, you, you can't fit in that thing. That's not deep enough. Oh, yeah? If I can't, 
I'll knock five bucks off the price of the unit. All right, you have yourself a deal. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you all right? Yeah. What happened? You may have heard the term Ponzi scheme. It's a form of fraud that essentially pays profits to earlier investors, which has been taken from new backers. After a while, the scheme collapses, though those involved trust that the scheme is legit. Charles Ponzi is probably one of the most famous conmen, having had this type of fraud named after him. Ponzi wasn't in any way the first to come up with the scheme, but being he truly embodied the word conman, we can see why he did. Conman or con artists is short for confidence artist. Their vocation primarily lies in gaining other people's trust. Ponzi was a whiz at charming others, probably because he'd gained his own confidence too. A good salesman should believe in his product, and being that he had found what seemed like a lucrative gap in the market, you can see why. How did Ponzi's scheme begin? Originally, the plan was totally legitimate. Originally, the plan was totally legitimate. No funny business whatsoever. One day he received a letter. Either way, how did Ponzi's scheme begin? Originally, the plan was totally legitimate. No funny business whatsoever. One day he received a letter from Spain. When he noticed something he'd never seen before. A postal reply coupon. When letters are sent internationally, a coupon can be attached which pays for the postage of a return letter. The interesting thing is that the prices for these coupons are different in each country. Ponzi's idea was to take advantage of cheaper postal rates in certain countries by selling them at a higher price in another. This is what's known as arbitrage, buying something in one market and selling it immediately for more in another. With Ponzi offering to double investors' money in three months, investors came in numbers. However, his promises were too good to be true, offering 100% profits within 90 days. Any similar opportunities that you may hear of are impossibly true too. It's never wise to become greedy when what seems like a stellar opportunity arises. During his infamous stint, Charles Ponzi raked in an estimated $15 million, all in the space of eight months. However, once the scam was over, his life quickly changed. Ponzi faced jail time, went through a divorce, and was even deported from the USA. Finally, in 1949, he died penniless with only one man to call a friend. He was foolish enough to lose more than just his money. After just a few episodes of Metaphorically Speaking, people have told me how they've learned so much via the metaphors, via what they meant then, and they're actually projecting how they can use it in a more positive way going forward. So please make sure you share this program with your family, friends, and especially the young people around us, because then they will learn from our mistakes. Especially this program, you know pension comes earlier than you think. And if you're not prepared, it is such a cause of worry to you, to your family, who will have to support you a week on pension because they were a housewife most of their lives. And when they did work, their national insurance contributions translated to one pound a week. I'm not the professional. My guest, Andrew Megson, is. So stay tuned and let's find out about pensions together. 
Andrew, thank you for joining me. I would like to know more about the survey that you conducted at My Pension Expert and whether it actually gave you something surprising or whether the news was as you expected. Um, yeah, what, what we were, the, the objective was to, to try and ascertain, try and understand what people knew and how aware that, that, that people were of their pension provisions going from the age of 40 to retirement. Um, did it particularly surprise us? Most of the results did not. However, what, what sort of seemed to be sort of almost a contrary position was whilst a number of people had no idea, 25% of people didn't have any idea of the whereabouts of the pension pot, in every age group, north of 40% were risk averse. Now, how can you be risk averse with your pension pot and not know what it's doing, not understand, not understand where it's invested? The other thing that, that again, was, was, was a slight, slight surprise that whilst the vast majority of the respondents were risk averse, or the majority of the respondents were risk averse, there were some diverse investment classes, such as property, stocks and shares, rather than just a straight pension fund. And actually also 12% invested in classic cars. Now, that those on their own produce significant risks. For example, if you invested, for example, in Tesla, yes, it's been a fantastic return in 2020. However, you're invested in one, one share. Now, with that brings risk reward. And when the vast majority of people are, or the 40% plus are anti-risk, it, it's, it's, it's trying to invest with the value of hindsight almost. I want the big returns and no risk. And it comes back to this point, the thrust of the fool and the money easily parted. Why is it that people don't understand the value of pensions? I have my feeling why, but I'd like you as the expert to tell me, what are you finding? Why are people not taking it seriously until the very last minute? I think, and, and the problem with not taking it seriously until the last minute, Delia, is the longer you delay making any serious decisions or saving for your retirement, the more expensive it becomes. Um, and what we're finding now, and I think people will start to take it more seriously, why? Because previously, up until about 10, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you used to join your, your company pension scheme. Most people, up until 20 years ago, you were with the same employer for life. You know, gone are the days. There used to be you, you leave university or you leave school, you join an employer, and that was it for 40, 50 years. And you got your pension scheme. It was a defined benefit. And people of certainly my parents' age are pretty well off due to an index-linked, very generous pension scheme. But those pension schemes were based on you got to retirement if it was a male at the time, 65, if it was a female, 60, and you live for five or six years. Now people live to 30, 40 years in retirement. Life expectancy has increased exponentially. And you need to fund for that period of time. So we're, we're about to hit a generation where they are not as well off as their parents because of the pension provision and because defined benefit schemes are so expensive that they've been stopped and people have been, in effect, told to, to save for themselves but haven't done. Because when you are 20, 
I'll use myself as an example. When I was 20, if somebody said, you need to be saving for your pension, I go, well, why? When I was 20, somebody the age of 30 was old, very old. And somebody the age of 50, 60, 65 at retiring was, why would you talk to me about that now? What possible interest? Now, coupled with the fact that there's very little education regarding people's provision, financial, how to, how to uh, manage their finances as they go through life, and the fact it's, it, it isn't an interesting, relatively interesting subject. It is dull. A lot of people, well, I finished school. I don't want to think about finances. I don't want to think about the maths. And it is dull. It's not meant, it's not made to be interesting. But I suppose, if I'm being frank, you want it to be as uninteresting as possible. Well, so you can actually enjoy the rest of the rest of your life and the fruits that it, it brings. I think the vast majority of people, why there is under provision, it just doesn't feel real and now. And when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you're bringing up a family, you're moving jobs, your career is everything. You know, you are on the way up, as it were. You, you're buying your first house, you know. Well, Andrew, you just described me. That's where I was at when I was 20 going on 30. But um, a cousin of mine, she was the same age as me and she kept on going at, she kept, you must do it, you must. And I thought, oh, you know what? And then she said, oh, I get an introductory free if I get someone on board, you know, I'm broke at the moment, just do it. So I said, okay then, to get her the fee, I just did it. And then I did contribute for a couple of years, but then, um, you know, you get older, I had, a, had children and then I needed money. So when I looked at my budget as to what I could let go so that I could, you know, live comfortably at the time, that was the first thing to go, my pension, because I thought, well, I'm only, you know, my late twenties, um, things will pick up. I think I was studying at that time. I was at university and I thought, you know what? Um, things will pick up, I'll get a really good job and then I'll start it again. So everyone's got their different, you know, reasons sometimes, even if you know it's a good thing to do, life takes hold and you think you're young and then you'll keep on going. But let's go, let's talk about the here and now. Why did you feel that the survey of this type was needed? We fundamentally believe in advice and advice for all. Um, advice should be affordable for all. Now, what, why we felt the survey was important was to, was to try and start that conversation with the population, with areas of the population, that how can you make provi provision for the third a third of your life, the third stage of retirement is now the third stage of your life. How can you make a provision for that? Well, you don't know your pension pots, you don't know what you contributed, you don't really know where it's invested, if you have it, and you're not interested in it. You can't just get to retirement and then think everything will be all right. Well, they so think what government we... pension will be okay, most people. Well, no, I mean, the, thing, the, the state pension is age is, is, is uh, eight and a half thousand pounds for an individual. The average pension pot for somebody reaching retirement now is something like £30,000, which, if you're extraordinarily lucky and have some sort of medical ailment, could buy you an income of something like £14,000 to £1,500 a year. And if you look at that between the gap, the day before you retire, your income, and then what you fall back on, that's a huge gap. 
Now, the other thing going forward, why is it so important now that people do, and um, why we wanted to get, a, get across why it's important to really understand is if you look at the global pandemic, which has moved from a health issue, a health catastrophe, to both a health and an economic catastrophe, in the UK alone, the, 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 the spending review of last week, they're, they're, they're estimating 300 million, 300 billion plus of debt. Uh, they took a quarter, by the end of it, they're talking a quarter of the GDP. Now, that has to be paid for. Now, at the moment, there is a triple lock on the state pension, and it's in the Conservative Party manifesto. What the triple lock is, they will increase your pension by either the greater of 2.5% retail price inflation or the consumer prices index, or sorry, wages inflation, whichever is the higher. Now, that's extraordinarily generous and incredibly expensive. At some point, that will be reviewed. The way this week they announced the, the, the change in the calculation of, the, of retail prices inflation for pensions to move it to a consumer price inflation, including housing, that takes... 0.8% off your pension, your indexing on your pension. That alone is cost pensionable, cost pensions by 2030, 96 billion. This is why we think it's incredibly important that people understand the pension, understand the pension pots, make provision, take advice to give them the best possible chance of a positive financial outcome when they hit retirement. It's never been more important. And how can people contact you? Um, either through our website, uh, mypensionexpert.com. Um, um, if you click on, there's, a, there's an inquiry, there's an inquiry, uh, um, there's an inquiry form, and we will always provide people with advice. One thing, as I say, we have no, we fundamentally believe that advice shouldn't, shouldn't be just for the wealthy. So no matter what, we will always help people who get in touch, even if it's the point and say, look, you're in a fantastic pension scheme. Why do you want to move it? Don't move it. Stay where you are. And we don't charge people for that advice. Mm -hmm. I think people perhaps don't approach companies like yourselves because maybe they don't have very much money and they think, I don't want to embarrass myself because I don't really have any money. I, I suspect I suspect you're right. Um, but the vast majority of people are in that in that boat. I mean, the average pension fund, that's people who get to retirement is just over £30,000, Delia. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't buy you a lot. But what it does buy you, if you follow advice, you can get the maximum possible benefit out of that pension. Well, Andrew, it's been really informative um, and even slightly worrying to talk to you, but not, not worrying in a bad way. It's, it's made me... Uh, I've always had those kind of concerns and it's, you know, it's one of the regrets I've had, as I said earlier, that that was one of the first things to go. And had I had thought a more, bit more maturely and then that's, you know, years uh, and experience, uh, it comes to you. Um, that wouldn't have been the first thing that, that I, um, that would have gone, but I have started thinking about things a lot differently. And I hope that uh, in hearing you today, we have encouraged listeners who have been afraid to ask or not interested to, but now realize, oh my gosh, I should, I really should start thinking seriously about this. Let me get some advice. I really hope that they do get in touch with you 
or with me if you find if you don't remember andrew's contact information listeners you can always contact me and i'll pass that information on to you so andrew thank you so much for your time thank you dearly and thank you for the listeners After listening to Andrew, I must say, I started panicking. But you know what? Let's face our fears together and let's go and get some advice. In the meantime, here's what Sean found out about this week's metaphor, a fool and his money is easily parted. What would you do with one million pounds? It's something many of us fantasize about, but how often do you consider what you need to do to earn it? Nearly 45 million people in the UK alone hope to become millionaires by playing the lottery. Just buy a ticket, see your numbers come up, and just like that, you've got all the money in the world. But if you did win, would you spend it wisely? I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with a real wooden floors below. Interestingly, a study showed that 70% of lottery winners end up losing it all, perhaps because they didn't put in the same time and effort to earn their riches. So what can we do to ensure we are not the fool that is easily parted with their money? We could take inspiration from Scrooge, the pre-ghostly visitation, and hoard our pennies, denying any to charities, but that might have a negative impact on your friend circle. Instead, I would recommend practicing self-discipline for a healthy relationship with money. However, living in the modern world makes it rather difficult to be thrifty. Nowadays, we are bombarded with videos convincing us to part with our hard-earned money so we can look like, feel like, smell like the thousands of so-called celebrities. We constantly encounter influencers surrounded by luxuries, selling their lifestyle as the pinnacle of existence. But wouldn't it be wiser to spend your money on necessities instead of luxuries, adopting a minimalist lifestyle? And now, the history of advertising in 60 seconds. Advertising is as old as the human condition, but branded, product-based ads didn't show up until the 18th century when print advertising became the norm. In the 1800s, we got the first billboards and ad agencies began to set up shop. In 1891, companies like Kodak began selling their brand, not just their product. Then, in 1908, new companies like Ford staged flashy publicity events and pioneered the art of looking cool. The soap opera was born when soap companies discovered the popularity of radio dramas among women when they did their housework. By the makers of Lux Toilet Soap. watches made the first television commercial. It cost nine bucks. And when psychologists got involved in the 1960s, focus groups transformed the industry into a calculated science. The tactics got a lot less predictable, and the budgets got a lot bigger. Enter the internet. Even though it looked like this and sounded like, advertisers were eager to engage the growing network of more than 5 million users. By the year 2000, ads were appearing alongside search results, driven by consumer interests. Now, advertising is just part of the conversation. For the first time in history, consumers are able to choose the ads they see based on their own taste. And brands are working with publishers to create content. It's a whole new world. Welcome to modern advertising. That ability to differentiate between want and need when budgeting your money will not only save you from making unnecessary purchases, but will also provide a foundation for strong will and good judgment. Finally, something that has been niggling away at me with this week's idiom, a fool and his money are easily parted, is that it only addresses men. Now, this may be because men are historically more foolish <laughs> or more likely because when Thomas Tusa originally wrote his poem in 1557, women didn't earn money. In fact, the title of the poem, 500 Points of Good Husbandry, 
Husbandry meaning the act of farming and caring for animals and deriving from the word husband. Although there has been a lot of progress in gender equality and women's working rights since Chaucer wrote his poem in the 16th century, things still aren't entirely equal. Women who work full-time still earn 15% less than men. But that's not because they're paid less for the same jobs. It's because they're in different jobs. Women are in less senior jobs. In Britain, France and Germany, 80 to 90% of executive jobs are held by men. Women also tend to choose different occupations. In America, over 80% of teachers, nurses, secretaries and health workers are female, and these jobs tend to be lower paid. Primary school teachers in the West earn nearly 20% less than the average graduate job. Nurses earn less than police officers. Globally, on average, women spend more time on unpaid work than they do on paid work, and much longer on unpaid work than men. I'm going to say that again, just in case you didn't know that, that you're thinking she didn't say it right. Globally, on average, women spend more time on unpaid work than they do on paid work, and much longer on unpaid work than men. That's what Sean told me. The additional time women spend on unpaid work daily amounts to an estimated four years over a woman's lifetime compared to men. Four years. In that time, you could earn a degree, celebrate a leap year or even master a martial art. So what lesson can we take from a fool and his money are easily parted? I would say don't focus on the amount of money or the amount of time you're spending. Focus on how you spend it. Prioritizing quality over quantity. Give money to charity if you can or give your time to make this world a better place. Both time and money are finite, but the joy from helping others or spending time with loved ones is immeasurable. Don't be a fool. We're at the end of this week's show and I hope thinking about finances for when you are older has made an impression in you to do something about it. I told the others on our team, Sam, Odua, Honor, Ernie and Reese, to ask their parents and relatives about their pensions and if they felt that they were happy with the financial preparation that they had. I won't tell you what the response was, but I will say that my team didn't take my thoughts seriously until they spoke to their families. Young team, just like I was starting out, I thought I knew it all. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for listening to Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you to my guest, Andrew Megson. If you'd like to hear this episode again, you can catch up on Colville Radio and all our episodes are on our podcast and it's called Metaphorically Speaking. You can share this episode from there. Please subscribe and send us a comment. We rely on you to help us build. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe. I would all...